this is the first Sunday of Lent for us. Lent is a 40-day period of preparation. The idea is that we need to be primed to be made ready to celebrate Easter. That Easter is not something that we naturally understand. That there are things that are gifts that are good that we are not ready to fully receive. It takes time to kind of get our emotions, to get our mind, to get our body ready for it. Um, the idea of like bread, right? We have some bread up front. Uh, if I were to tell you, look, I have an amazing gift for you today. You're going to have the, the best meal you've ever had in your life. And I bring you this bread and I hand it to you. Likely you'll say, okay, it's, it's decent. It's, it's bread. I've had bread before, right? It's going to be ordinary to you. But what if we put you in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and then we offer you that same bread? Are you going to appreciate the bread more than you would this afternoon? Especially since you all just had, you know, biscuits and gravy this morning, right? Bread's not really going to be able to stand up to that, right? But if you had that 40 days of preparation where you don't have something that you're used to having is taken away from you, right? Water is something that... Uh, Few of us in this room drink enough of, right? It's something that we know is important, that's healthy, but does water taste good? And that's a good discussion. Who thinks water tastes good? Hands. You guys are bunching. <laughs> Who thinks that different waters have different tastes? How about that? Hands. Okay, good. Okay. Who thinks that Dasani tastes like salt? One person. Amen. <laughs> it's a big scam by Coca-Cola. That's all they're doing, trying to get you thirsty to drink more water. Don't drink Dasani. It's terrible. That's my rant for the morning. How about that? And so what happens for us with these ordinary things, right? I mean, again, when you have the choice, you could have water or you could have uh, Coke or soda. That's one other thing. Is it pop, soda, or Coke? Who even cares, right? If you have your choice of coffee or uh, all of the entire... Uh, universe of all different kinds of coffees, if you could have teas, if you could have all these different types of things, then you're presented with water, right? It seems kind of ordinary. It's not very special. And so it takes time for us to realize the value of things. It, it makes us, uh, it's a 40-day it's season where we kind of remind ourselves that we have limits. That's one of the, the big themes of, of Lent, that we are limited, and so uh, as we go into Lent, we're going to start a new series for Lent. We're going to take this through the entire uh, season of Lent. It's, it's very uplifting and encouraging. Um, I thought about it hard. I want to make sure you left the room feeling very happy about yourselves and about the future. So it's called Death, Dust, and Decay. <laughs> Death, Dust, and Decay. And we will get the image up there at some point. Death, Dust, and Decay. Again, uh, a beautiful notion, right? To, to when you go home, you're just going to feel, you know, like the clouds are beautiful, the sun is shining. Uh, that's the entire heart of this season, right? But what happens to us in this season is basically, um, we call Lent, it's almost like the dark season. It's a time of the calendar where we try to, to step into all the places in life that we try to ignore, the things that we try to, to look past uh, th throughout our days. All the stuff that you do not want to acknowledge during this season, we have to acknowledge it. We have to look at it. And so what happens with us, if Easter is a season about celebrating life, about celebrating the ultimate gift of God, which is life after death. It's not just life in this life. It's not just having a great life now. It's the ultimate gift of God is not that. The ultimate gift of God is life after death. But how can we appreciate life after this life if we always look past death? So we have to look to all those little... Uh, 
the dark spaces in our lives that we try to ignore. And so this morning, as we kind of dive into this, it's important to come into it with honesty. And when I say honesty, I don't mean not lying. I mean looking at things that are real, that you know are there that you'd rather not look at. Coming into it with vulnerability, allowing yourself to feel things that normally you try to hide from those feelings, right? This is the heart of the season of Lent for us. And so I want to start this morning. If you guys have your phones, take your phones out. Pull out your calculator. I want you to take the number 365, times it by how many years you have been alive. Go ahead. What number do you get? Don't yell it. (laughs) Just look at it, right? That's a lot of days, right? That's a lot of days that you have been alive, correct? A lot of days that you have been alive. Now I want you to times that by 24. Times it. Go ahead. Now, we won't go any farther than that, of course. How many hours have you existed on this earth? How many hours have you been alive to where you could feel things, you could think and process things, you could choose things, you could, you could interact with things? How many hours have you been alive on this planet? Look at that number. Here's the question. How many of those hours do you remember? How many of these hours stick out to you? If someone said, okay, what has your life been? Tell me about all of the moments that you've been alive. What have they been? Tell me about them. You have so many thousands of hours. Most of, uh, if you're in this room, you have at least 100,000 hours of life. Most of you, right? In the hundreds of thousands of hours that you've been alive, we won't even go into minutes or to seconds. How many of those hours do you remember? That is a scary thought, is it not? We've been alive for this many hours, and I cannot even recall yesterday very well. If you ask me to talk about yesterday, I can do it. You ask me to talk about Friday. Okay, how about Monday? How about last Sunday? How about the Sunday before that? Who has the Time Hop app on their phone, right? Or uh, with Facebook? It pops up these random, like these images and moments from your life, right? I love that app. I check it every single day. It helps me notice the hours which have passed. And what's so beautiful about it is when these, these images pop up, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that moment. Now, there are some times I don't remember the picture. I'm like, I don't remember what we were doing that day. I can't recall it. But there are moments where it, it pops to me, and I can almost go back to it, right? But if it wasn't for the Time Hop app, what happened? Would I be able to hold on to those, those hours, those moments of being alive, right? Um, if you've had at least, we'll say, 250,000 hours of being alive, you remember the days before the Time Hop app, okay? The days when we had boxes of photos. Do you remember what I'm talking about? If you have them or your parents have them or your parents' parents, what they'll have in their closet is these boxes, like shoe boxes, most of you, shoe boxes. And they're going to have all these nasty, ugly photos of you, right? And all, like, the worst haircuts and the clothes. I mean, you get it. This was the way that they were able to store those hours, Right? Now, what's so interesting about that is like when the photos would come out, some of them again would pop to you. Oh, I remember that. And, and then in other photos, you go, I don't remember like 
what was happening? Which child is that? <laughs> That's when you start having a lot of hours that are racked up, right? Slideshows, absolutely. See, one of the realities of life is this. You do not know existence without limits. Imagine a box, a cage, a cell, right? You do not know life without having confinement, being held back. There's always a limit to what we can experience and know. And what's interesting is it spreads to all three parts of our, of our being. Emotionally, who here, and if you are this weird person, please, okay, who here is able to experience more than one emotion at a time? Four or five people. Are you really experiencing that? So, okay, for, for example, when, when that person who, like, laughs when they're angry, you know what I'm talking about? Are they really happy, or is it really just anger that they're trying to suppress? Okay, can you really experience in a deep way more than one emotion at a time? Most human beings cannot. Most human beings will go from one emotion to the next. And anger is a primary transition emotion. If you're going from joy to sorrow, typically you have to go through anger first. There's all sorts of transition emotions. We're not good at going from here to there. We have to kind of have some in-between steps. We are limited emotionally on what we can feel. It's not that these things aren't happening in there somewhere, but I can't even take in all of the emotion. In all these hours that are on your phone, think back to the most emotional moment that you've ever had. Whether it was joy or sorrow, rage. The odds are that what you were feeling in that moment was not about that current situation. See, most situations, and whether it's a fight with someone or uh, it's a great experience of joy, these typically are tapping into deeper emotions that have been stored deep down low. And so you can get, a fight, get in a fight with a, a friend or a spouse or a child about, you know, the food you're going to eat that day or about some bill you have to pay, and you will get so worked up with emotion. It's not really about that thing. It's that we can only store so much. We can only feel so much. And so if I've got so much in me, but I can only feel this much of it, then I'm always storing these emotions somewhere. So we are limited even emotionally. We can only feel so much. And when you look back at your life, there are moments when you become overwhelmed with emotion, where emotion can be painful. It can hurt. Even happiness. You can feel so much happiness that it, you can't function. Have you ever felt so much emotion that you couldn't think? You lost your ability to process mentally? So much emotion that you had to sit down? It... it for some reason, your emotions shut down your body. You couldn't even move. You just had to just, I just, just need a moment. Have you felt so much emotion that you couldn't breathe? Anybody? Now, we're also limited in our mind. How many thoughts can you hold in your head at one time? Can you be fully listening to me right now and thinking about that smell that's coming from the foyer? and thinking about work on Monday, and thinking about spring break that's coming up, can you hold all of those fully in tension at once? How many memories can your brain store? 
That's one of the amazing things about long-term memory. You, your brain literally takes memories and says, okay, I don't think you need this for a while. We're going to hide it in the closet. And maybe if time hop shows you, I'll pull that back out one day. Your brain can only hold so much at one time. How many of you are very, very gifted at math? We need more of you. <laughs> Two people, awesome. We need some more math people. How many of you guys who are very gifted at math are also very gifted at art? How many of you who are very gifted at math, who are also very gifted at art, also are very gifted when it comes to literature, to poetry? The odds are I'm not going to find someone if it's all three of those categories. Even our brains are limited. You could be extremely intelligent, through the roof intelligent. You could be the smartest person in the city of Alma. And you are limited. What you can understand, what you can grasp, what you can fathom is limited. Now, I think physically is the easiest one to acknowledge our limits. As you get older, you begin to notice your body has what? Has limits, right? You begin to measure, okay, if I go do this with my kids right now, what's it going to feel like in the morning? Or even worse, two days from that, from that moment. When I wake up on the next, next day, what's it going to feel like? Your energy is limited, right? Uh, in worship over here this morning, I noticed that uh, I had a crick in my neck. I had this little lingering, I mean, it wasn't even a, a, a sharp pain, just a lingering kind of a, uh, right there. And I could not focus on the words in the song. I could feel the rhythm and the beat, but I could not think about what we were singing about because I could not get off of that little thing right there. If you notice, these limits are all interconnected, right? The limits of our body affect the limits of our emotions and our mind, and vice versa. We only know existence with limits. And so how do we respond to limits? Most human beings, especially American human beings, the response we have to limits is to amass, meaning picture a kid in the nursery right now, which is probably Rachel, my youngest. She's going around taking everyone's toys, amassing, right? The idea is I'm going to take this and take that, and I'm going to build myself a pile. And it's going to be bigger and bigger and bigger to amass, to find more, right? The natural human response to limits is to spend your life gathering more, more experiences, more money, more influence, more attention, more love, more affection. Here's a question for you. Every extremely rich billionaire guy who gets to be amazingly rich, what do they begin to spend their money on? Medicine. Every tech billionaire who ever conquers money and issue, they begin to realize there's something that they have a limited amount of. Time. And they begin to throw their money into cryogenics. How do we freeze the human brain? How do we cure cancer? How do we, how do we give more time? How do we push back the limits that we have? And so if all we know is limits, and we only know to respond in one way, to begin to, to push against those limits, right? To push against the, the confinement. To spend our life consuming more. We need more, more, more. I love that cruise. We went to go to Mexico, but now I want to go to the Bahamas. The Bahamas are great, but now I want to go to Jamaica. 
How about Canada next time? How about Mongolia? At what point does the human soul say, no, I'm good. I've seen plenty. When you have an amazing meal, at what point does your desire for more say, no, we're good. We're fine. When you're at work and they offer you a raise, you go, no, I think I'm good with the pay you're giving me. I'm fine. Good, good. When the church offers is, when the church offers five services, seven services, twenty services, no, I'm good. I'm good. We'll come online to your bedroom. I'm good. We are obsessed with that word more. And the reason that we live for more is because we do not know how to handle limits. We don't know how to accept limits. And so the story that we often base the understanding of the world on as Christians, it starts in Genesis. And the first thing that we see is this world of, of, of no limits. These creatures who live with no end in sight. Like they're not told you only have so many days. They're told, hey, your existence is to live and to enjoy. That's it. That's all you have to do is to live and to enjoy. All these creatures, yours. The clouds and the stars and the trees and the flowers and the streams, it's all yours. Only a handful of you, but I'm going to give you an entire solar system. Here you go. Oh yeah, but there's one limit. This one tree here. This is your limit. You can have all of this, but just don't touch that one limit I'm going to put on you. And human nature says, now, what I want to, to kind of open up this morning is that limits are a gift for us. Limits are an amazing gift from God. Who here has ever had some kind of a sickness or an experience where you were short of breath? You could not breathe. Panic attack, asthma, something like that, right? We have a constant reminder of limits. In this moment right now, you're all breathing in and out, right? You do not think about it. You're not conscious of it. Every day, you breathe so many hundred times in a day. The moment that those breaths stop, you cease to exist, right? It doesn't matter how healthy your brain is, how healthy your heart is, or your muscles. If that breathing ceases, you cease. If you've ever choked on something before, all of a sudden these breaths that you are so accustomed to, when you can't get the next one, panic, fright, your mind begins to race, your body begins to sweat, it's unbelievable, and all in a split second. When those limits are now confined on you, it's amazing how slow time goes when you can't catch your next breath. It's amazing how fast you can run when you can't catch your next breath. Trying to get the food out or trying to grab the inhaler, trying to get someone to help you. Everything slows down when those limits close in on you. I'm not sure if you guys have ever spent time with someone who is terminally ill. I have. 
they don't see life the way that we see life. When someone is told by a doctor, you have three months to live. At best, you have two years. You could die at any moment. When someone is told, your limits have been increased. Your life is now in this tiny cage. You would think that in human nature, it would make them lose their mind. In my experience, most people who face these types of, of situations respond by savoring the breaths that they have left, by enjoying the moments that they have. They become very careful with how they use the time they have, the emotions they have left, the, the faculties they have left. They become very, very appreciative of what they have left. Each day to them, Each moment, each hour that they have left, each, each hour you have on your phone, when they only have so many left, they begin to fill those, those hours with so much intentionality. When you talk to someone who is thinking and facing death, their presence is like weighty. Um, I'll explain this to you. <clears throat> it's almost like they are so present. Their emotions and their thoughts are so present with you. When they gaze at you, it's almost like they're just kind of seeing right through you. They're so planted in the moment that it's almost intimidating. There's no time for playing games, for shooting the breeze. There's no time for that stuff. I want to be here with you right now. Take all the masks off. I'm not worrying about tomorrow or about the bills or about the vacation coming up. All I've got is this moment right here. So, the word that I, I love for this, the gift of limits, is this. Limits teach us how to savor. If you're American, we spell it S-A-V-O-R. If you're European, they put a, a U in there. Savor. So much better, right? To savor. To enjoy or appreciate something pleasant. To the fullest. Especially by lingering over it. I love that word, linger. It's one of my favorite words when I preach, linger. Okay, who's ever been to a fine dining establishment? I mean like a fancy quality restaurant. Okay, my first experience here was we sat down, and I'm just thinking about the price tags. Okay, again, like we had planned for this, but planning it and being in the room are two different things. You get there and you start seeing the menu. Okay, we budgeted the money, but that steak cost $125. I don't think it's worth it. I mean... What did they do to this? You know, whatever. You know, it, it, uh, oh, the bread, $55 for bread. Oh, my gosh. Special butter, apparently. Yeah, amazing. Aged for 25 years. Don't care. <laughs> and I'm sitting here just like so distracted by the prices. And then I start getting annoyed. I'm like, where's the waiter? I'm about to put down a lot of bills. Where's the waiter? I mean, like, where's my water? Where's my bread? You know, I mean, <laughs> we could have gone to Chili's for this, you know. Paid right at the table with the card and the points. And, and, <laughs> and of course, the waiter comes and they give you the, you know, the bread and, and the water, and they leave. Whoa, dude, I want to order right now. You know? <laughs> and when they come back, they bring one thing and they leave. An hour goes by, and we've had one course. And I'm like, this is not even worth it. I mean, like, where is the service? I, I mean, he should, just be, he should sit right here at the table. Like, that's what should be happening right now. I think it was Nisa was like, you don't understand. 
You're paying so much money so you don't have to rush. The whole point here, Devin, is to enjoy it. And I'm going, Sonic has better service. Like, what are we doing? Like, where's my red button? You know, like, what's happening here, you know? Three hours go by. And I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to, to understand this. But I'm still growing as a human being, okay? I'm still growing as a follower of Jesus. I don't know how to be slow. Like, let's get, I mean, I'm ready to get to the movie and to the next thing and to the next thing, right? I'm ready to go. I did not enjoy that first meal. I, did, I mean, it didn't matter how good the food was. I was not ready to linger with anything. See, I didn't know how to savor something. I did not know how to enjoy something to the fullest. Because, see, the only way that I knew to, to understand food was to move to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing. Would you like to know what my favorite food experience was before that? Chinese buffets. I was high class, guys. High class all the way. I loved it because I can get up. I don't need to wait for you, brother. I can get up and go back, get as many plates. I can get as much of this or this as I want. I can, it's up to me. I got this. <laughs> and I could have myself six plates in 30 minutes if I want to and get out of there for eight bucks. <laughs> Come on. Eight dollars, man. Come on. I have since learned the error of my ways, by the way. If I could afford it and still be generous and loving and Christ-like, I would eat those fancy meals every day. Make me slow down for, for three hours. <laughs> I didn't have kids back then either. <laughs> I just realized that. I didn't know what it was to enjoy quiet. <laughs> Not having to feed someone else for three hours. It was amazing. Now I know how to sit down and to take my time and I love the fact that we get to linger. I love that there's no waiter trying to get me out so the next person is able to come in. I love it. I'm able to savor it, to enjoy the moments. Because, see, we are limited. And even in the way that we enjoy life, we are limited. We only have so much capacity to take anything in. You can kind of see yourself. You can only bring in so much information. So much can go through your brain, through your senses. Only your body can handle only so much. You are limited. So what happens when we are always consumed with more, when we don't know how to embrace our limits? What happens is we take the limited ability we have, mentally, emotionally, physically, and we begin to spread ourselves out. Part of ourselves goes in the past. We're always looking back at old offenses, the, the what-ifs. What if I had made that career choice? What if I hadn't passed up on that opportunity? What if, what ifs, and this person did that to me, and this happened to us, and there was this moment, and this moment, and this person was awful, and this person let me down, and my parents, I wanted this from them, and I didn't get that, and we just go, we live, we, we take some of ourselves, and we spread it over there. And then we're consumed with, well, I want this, and I want to accomplish this with my life, and I want, I want this for my kids, and I want to accomplish this, and do that, and have this thing. Oh, and then we get to warriors. Do we have any warriors in the room? Okay. You guys are really good at spreading yourselves thin. So now we're going to take our emotions and our mind, and we're going to begin to throw it into the future. All the what-if scenarios with our relationships, with our kids, with our work, and we're just going to, we're going to take part of ourselves, and we're always going to be living in the future. We're always two steps, three steps ahead of us. And what happens is, 
We have some of ourselves in the past, some of ourselves are always strained to the future, and we don't leave much in this place, in this present space. So when my kids come to talk to me, there's part of me is, the, is over there, my mind's over here, emotions there, part of me is over here, part of me is at work, part of me is on that vacation already, looking forward to the next fine dining I get to. And when they come to me, what is really here? What's really left in this space? When I come into a Sunday morning, what, how much of me is even in this space? How much of me physically or mentally and emotionally is really present here? The idea was is that church was supposed to start the week when they first created this, this way of gathering. This was the beginning. This was the first day. This wasn't the last. Because see, the first day... God got all of our best. Imagine Monday, right? God would get our best. God would get our energy and our emotions and our thoughts. He would get all of us first, and then we'd spread the rest of ourselves throughout the week. Right now, it's what? All of us goes throughout the week. All The best of us goes to work. The best of us goes to worry and to strife and to trouble and to goals and aspirations and dreams and to our families and all these good and bad places. And what comes in on a Sunday morning? Whatever's left, right? Did you know that God does not need us to sing two fast songs and a slow song? Did you know that? He doesn't need any of this. He doesn't even need us to take Eucharist. He doesn't need us to be baptized. He doesn't need us to preach sermons. He doesn't need any of these things. There is little about this gathering that's really for God. We need it. We need to feel the baseline and think about the words and we need to be stretched mentally and challenged we need to be taken places emotionally we need to to touch the bread and taste the juice we need these things because what this is supposed to do is to help you gather pull yourself back from all the places that you spread yourself how do you be present in your life If you learn to embrace your limits, here's what's going to happen for you. If you learn to embrace that your breaths are limited, that you do not know how much time you have on this life, if you learn that your emotions are limited, you only have so much to give or to experience, that your body has limits, you can only spend so much energy or time in these places. If you learn to live a life embracing limits, which is like this, if I told you that you had no limits to your body and that you could sprint all the time, just kind of picture yourself on your day, sprinting to your car, sprinting to the bathroom, sprinting to work, sprinting, to, I mean, just kind of just have that picture of yourself running everywhere, right? But of course, your body does have limits, right? What would happen to you if you literally sprinted everywhere? We're not just talking about the sweat that you would produce, how nasty it would be, right, if you sprinted everywhere, right? We're not just talking about you would get tired. Your joints would begin to actually fall apart. You would wear out all <laughs> the ligaments in your body. Because your body was what? Not built to run. All those people like running. Your body wasn't built for it, brother. <laughs> your body was built to walk like this. Very slow. <laughs> Truthfully. I'm not even kidding. 
You are going to run your body into the ground because your body was not built for running. This is what you do to yourself emotionally and mentally every day. You are sprinting emotionally. You are overloading yourself mentally. If I went to squat 600 pounds right now, they would be taking me to the ER right afterwards because I cannot handle it. I'm not built for it. Some of you are. I am not. That would not go well for me. The problem is that the wear and tear on the body is so much more visible. The wear and tear on the emotions, on the human soul, on the mind are not quite as obvious. And so you guys sprint through life. You overload. You guys are squatting 600 pounds on your, on your emotions, on your soul. And you go through life and you wonder why you look at your hours and you can't remember any of them. Every week is like a blur. Every one of those kids, we all say the same thing. They grow up too fast. No, that's not necessarily true. It's just that we weren't present for those moments. Have you noticed how, how crazy it is when you go see an old friend or a family and you see their kid? Oh my gosh, you grew up so fast. No, you just went around. We don't acknowledge that this same reality takes place with everyone in our lives. I have couples come back to my office and we just can't make our marriage work. I don't know what happened. You've both been changing. It's been 15 years since you've been married. You're not the same people you were but you haven't been around to notice it in each other. Your emotions have been over here, and your mind's over here, and your body's over here, and you've never been here. For whatever reason, I don't know why, human beings are designed to live in one place in the present. The way that your body is built, the way that your mind functions and processes the world, the way that your emotions receive and express, you were built to live in one place, the present. You were built to have limits, to only be able to take in so much, to only produce so much. You can only receive and give so much. You can only think and process so much. You can only eat so much, and that is a terrible thing. If we could just eat more and more, I love eating. Limits. If you view the limits of God as a curse, you will continue to destroy yourself from the inside out. You will continue to strive to do more and more and more in whatever shape that it takes in your life. And it will destroy you. It will wear you out. It will grind you down to nothing from the inside to the outside. I have pastors who talk to me a lot about how like the church attendance is going down and all this different stuff. And, you know, I, I understand that. But the national cry in this country is the search for peace. If it's a pill, they will spend money for it. If it's a yoga retreat, they will go to it. If it's the CrossFit games, they will destroy their bodies for it. Whatever it is that promises them peace, they will throw themselves to it. If it's climbing the corporate ladder, they will do it. People are searching for that thing to be met. And the problem with most of our churches is we're always 
taking them other places. We're going to take them over here and over here and, and over there. Your limits are a gift. When you learn to limit your life, only so much of my emotions are able to be spread thin. I can't afford to live in the past any longer. I'm going to have to bring those emotions here. I can't afford to worry about tomorrow because I have people to be present with right now. I'm going to bring those here. I can only think about so much. I can't afford to always be at the office even when I'm not at the office. I'm going to bring them here. I've only got so much time and energy in this body. I'm going to make sure it's used in the right places for the things that matter the most. Things that matter to me most will get my energy and my time and my physical presence. Beyond time, one of the, the most valuable commodities right now in our culture is presence. To be physically in a room. Because you can be a million places. Your mind can be somewhere. Your emotions can be somewhere. Just spend five minutes on Facebook. You can be all over the country. But I want you to get something. If you are all over the place, if you are a million places, you're really nowhere. The reason that the Scriptures tell us this, to not forsake the gathering, the being present, is because for us to connect to God and to connect to each other, it takes all three parts of you. This body of yours, its emotions, and this mind. So I want to explain this. If all you know in life is the continual stepping forward, the striving for more, and again, it could be anything. It could be affection, it could be success, money, whatever it is, right? You live your life leaning forward. It's almost like a sprinter. You, lean your, you live your life leaning forward for more. If you do not know what peace feels like, if you do not know what it feels like to be satisfied, to be so present, to linger so slowly, to take something in so deeply that you don't want to be anywhere else. If you've ever had a conversation with someone you love deeply, there are moments where you will be so present, taking in so much of them, that there's nowhere else that you want to be, mentally, emotionally, physically. There are some meals, and guys, if you, if you haven't had a meal like this, I'm sorry, I apologize. There are some meals that the food is so good, the smells are so right, the, the visuals of the plate are so moving that there's nowhere else you want to be. You're not thinking about the next course, you just want this course. If you haven't come to that place, I want you to kind of see where I'm going with this. If you haven't experienced what it is to be satisfied, to find peace, to savor life, then the gift of eternal life is going to be torture. Just hear me. If you have never known how to fully enjoy this moment and not need the next moment, then a life of, of perpetual doing, pursuing, stretching, hurting. If when you look at these hours on your phone, you don't look at this and see peace. You don't feel content. When you look at this phone, if you see regrets, pain, oh, a few highs, then what kind of a gift is eternal life? If you haven't even learned to enjoy this life, then what kind of a gift is a never-ending rat wheel of sprinting and chasing and doing and, and more? And 
The reason you must learn to embrace the limits of this life, this is the only life where you can prepare to enjoy life without end. I'm not sure if you want to go here heady, but eternity is nothing but the present. All you math nerds, right? Eternity, to have time with no end, is nothing but being present. It's nothing but that. If there is an existence where there is no beginning and no end, all there is is present. That's all that exists. Because you are in all spaces at all moments at all times right now. For all of you right now, that would be a torture. An absolute, cruel torture. If you do not know how to enjoy the present moment, you are not ready for eternity. If you don't know how to live life right now in this moment, you do not know how to live life without limits. These limits are a gift. They will teach you to savor every breath, every emotion, every thought, every moment. Lent takes us to this limit to tell us this is a gift from God. This, less is more. This is what will teach you to appreciate more. And if you learn to put limits on your life, limits on what you do, on the places you put yourself, whether it's work or activities or groups or things that are asked of you, you learn to bring yourself back and to be more present in every moment with every person you're with, you will find that peace that you haven't known. You will learn what it is to savor. You cannot savor anything on the run. You will never savor fast food. I'm sorry. It's great. It is great. But you will never savor it. It could be the best meal on the planet, but if you eat it on the run, you will miss it. It could be the most life-changing experience, but if you are not present mentally and emotionally, you will miss it. Every gathering, every sermon, every worship song, every Eucharist, every church moment that we could ever have can be absolutely ordinary or change your life depending on how present you are in it. When you go to tables this, this afternoon and you sit down with people, it could be the worst experience and the best, but it's all dependent on one thing. How much of yourself is going to be seated in that chair? How much of you are you going to bring? That is how much you will be able to savor, to enjoy that moment. Would you guys stand with me?